Hello, welcome back to the Untitled SEO podcast. And I have a guest today, but before I get on to that, I need to explain what we're doing in season two of this podcast. We're doing LAN, that's live action networking. I've been in SEO for around 25 years, and I've identified in that time that we just don't talk to each other enough. So I'm getting people in the SEO profession and sort of satellite industry, satellite niches onto the podcast for a good chat. Because quite frankly, we work at SEO with an abundance mindset. So to that end, none of us are competitors. We're all just here to help each other. And I have a a very special guest today who isn't necessarily an SEO consultant. But if you'd like to introduce yourself, honored guest, I bet you know a little bit about SEO. Yeah, um, I would definitely say I'm not an SEO expert. uh, But having just come back from Bangkok and spent uh, a couple of weeks with about 400 SEO experts. I, I feel I should know a little bit more, but yeah. <laughs> oh God. My, my, yeah, my name's Shit Townsend. Uh, been around the block a little bit, um, been in corporate for part of my life and then some startups. And now I'm running um, a couple of startups myself as well um, and looking to use sort of different techniques cool. and, and aspects to get those moving along. Sorry, Andrew. I, I interrupted So you what, one of the things... Oh God, not, not at all. This, this is a conversation. It's not a, I'm not um, thingy frost. See, I can't even remember his name. The <laughs> um, frost, frost Nixon. I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> I was going to say Nick Frost, but no, he's the guy from hot fuzz and everything. I'm also not Nick Frost. Um, one of the things that, <laughs> sort of a weird intro. Uh, one of the things I like to, to ask my guests is how they got into tech and your, your journey through tech is is really interesting so can you give us a potted history uh, let's, let's go back to to how you got your first tech job uh yeah so i was a, a mature university student shall we say i did a, a, a degree part-time so i could join a company that most listeners probably won't know about now but a company called sun microsystems which was the inventor of unix oh, and yeah. java and solaris and lots of lovely stuff um, and I started there. I think I think it was just over thirty with a load of graduates uh, in a in a pre sales role. So it was a technical role. I was writing unit scripts and doing networking. Um, and before that, I used to sell steel. So there's hope for us all. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. So that that is quite a shift. First of all, yeah, Sun Microsystems. I was a, a network admin in the nineties, and I was on the Microsoft side of things, uh, just as an independent boom, and boom. real. We were so in awe of Sun Microsystems. We, we, we were just like looking up to them. For one thing, like the guy, the guy who owned the company had like his own fighter jet or something at the time. Scott McNeely, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, create loads of crazy stories. So, what? How the transition from selling steel to to tech? Um, you say you went to university, but was there like one thing that triggered you to make the move, or was it just for the sake of change? Yeah. No, no, no. Um sort of rewinding back a little bit further when I was a teenager I had it's one of those sliding door moments I had to make a decision which was I could go and do a apprenticeship at British Gas in their IT department which was in a place called Stratford which was a bus ride away or I could work at the garage and get five pound a week more which was at the top of my road which meant I could get up at 10 to 9. Um, I was a teenager I made the wrong decision, but I made what I thought was the right decision at the time um, around that. And I always regretted it. So I got married quite young and had um, my son when I was quite young and decided 
I don't want to sell steel for the rest of my life. I want to actually go back to that. But by then, the only way to get a job in corporate land was, I mean, even before that was to have a degree. Um, so I went back to do a degree. So I did business information systems, um, HNC, and then, yeah, a degree in bus- business information systems as well. Um, and managed to get in on the last graduate recruitment at Sun uh, before they, they shut that program down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a hell of a time to to be getting getting your start because it's certainly not the tail end of Sun as you mentioned. Like Java, such a Java. I'm going to say Java and Unix is a big thing. This podcast is aimed at like industry peers who are all now <laughs> laughing at me, going, "Oh, really? Do you think?" <laughs> so it's, how, it's amazing. How long were you at Sun for? Uh, just under fourteen years. Um, it is amazing the amount of people that when you speak to them about sort of that time who don't know about sun or java or solaris and stuff uh, but yeah I, I i moved over to oracle for a year as part of the acquisition when oracle acquired sun um, but again i always knew i was going to move on because by that time inside sun i built out and was running their startup accelerator so i was fi- i was my, my job was to find the next google the next facebook and get them to use solaris and our x86 servers um Oracle didn't think that was a thing. I didn't quite fit in because by then I wasn't wearing a corporate uniform. I was wearing flowery shirts. I met Mark Zuckerberg. I've met two prime ministers. <laughs> um, I've met the Fonz. We don't do the thumbs with the Fonz. Um, and it was a great time, but Oracle <laughs> were not that type of company. Uh, so by that time, I was like, right, I left and went to work for two, st- well, yeah, two startups, I suppose you could call Zendesk a startup at the time, uh, and really sort of worked out then. And that's when I started to understand more about SEO and sort of content marketing and driving traffic than when you're in corporate, you don't get any of that. You don't understand it unless you work in those teams. When you're in a startup, you're doing everything and you start to understand more about how a business functions and how leads are generated and how it's important for these sort of things that beforehand was just it seemed like it was rocket science and there's some other people in another office that did that um, type of thing. It, it's, it seems to my mind to be a, a massive transition. Uh, you've just detailed it out very well, so I won't kind of push too much further on that. But what were the biggest shocks to you when you went from a, a corporate environment, where, as you say, people were saying, you just say, oh, make this happen. Or do you just like wave your hands and magic happens in, in a room in another building, possibly in another country? What was the biggest shock when suddenly you found yourself a lot, a lot more involved? Um, for me, it was actually doing work. So in corporate, you do do work and it feels like it's hard work. You get on with stuff. But when you're in a 25-person 20, startup and most of them are developers, then actually what happens is that you realize that, oh my God, this is hard work. So I'll be doing pre-sales calls with somebody in Asia pack at 10 o'clock at night in bed. The next day I'll be trying to build a marketing plan. I'd be ordering pizza for the developers and doing hackathons. And it was just like, wow, this is total respect to people that go and put the you know, life on the line, the mortgages and all that, or get investments to run run this type of business. And I thought, oh, it'll slightly change. When I went to Zendesk, that was 250 people globally, and they took 60 million or 100 million by then. Um, that was the same, though. It was just full on consistently. So it was a massive transition. But for me, 
it was a great, I was already sort of aware of it because I'd already been running this sort of startup accelerator, but it was a great transition in terms of learning new skills, being exposed to marketing, sales, customer services, success. It was like, great, I can, I can be multi-skilled now. I'm not just isolated in one little box and know about financial services and how to sell into there because that's, it's, it's good, but it doesn't expose you to the bigger world. No, and and it's quite a high pressure environment. I think if you've got the type of mind that can learn that way, that there that's the mindset that that does very well in that environment because there there isn't the luxury of just passing passing the buck to to somebody else in the team. You stick out like a sore thumb if you can't make it work. You know, yeah. you you really you really do. Put it this way, you soon know when you've ordered the wrong pizza for 20 plus developers. Um, that's, that's, that's my main concern. That's the real important thing to <laughs> That's the most important thing ever. I, Get I that remember, right and you're fine. I can remember one of the first times I saw inside uh, that kind of tech hub was the, one of the Google hubs in London. And I can remember oh, yeah. noticing that, that a lot of the tables had toilet rolls on. And I was thinking surely they actually leave the table to use the toilet. And I looked around and they also had bottles of whiskey and stuff on the tables. And I was like, I can't be a hundred percent sure that is what they do. I've seen developers in full flow and <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised they remember to breathe sometimes. It's amazing. Um, that's what it's like. I'm celebrating. Once, once, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not poking fun. <laughs> no, no, but it is, it's once we're in full flow. I mean, these were C++ developers doing real time. Um, we had oh, access yeah. to Twitter's firehose real time. So we were sort of working against that. And they were, yeah, once they got in the zone, literally in the headphones on, if you interrupted them, it was like the end of the world because they were just on it. And Mm. it was awesome not to watch. That sounds a bit weird, but, you know, to see the outcome of it and go, right, okay, have you just built that? Yeah, just done it now. It's live. It's deployed. Whereas in corporate, it's like, are we doing the next release? Yeah, every six months we'll do another release, a patch update and stuff. It's like, okay, that's really exciting, isn't it? Whereas in in that sort of land, it's live, uh, which is great. That's kind of the the big change. The certainly as far as I've seen it, and, and I'm very wary of, of making myself sound old. I mean, I am, but I we, it's it's fascinating. I think to people my age that 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 shift came. It was quite kind of punk rock that that the shift to the, the power being the people with the knowledge and the people who could could scale fast and build fast before a lot of investors came in and started putting some of that corporate style weight and responsibility on things. But I thought it would die out. I thought the the investors would flatten it and make everything very beige. And and I'm not greatly experienced in startups, but that doesn't appear to have happened. What's your experience? I mean, there's still people with the spark, the people. There's still sparks there, but this, I think, uh, again, we're in a bit of a different sort of situation now where investors are now starting to realize, actually, we need to put investments into companies that do generate revenue, and that's what we want to invest in. I think we're sort of moving along from this Airbnb, WeWork, those sort of aspects where it's like, we'll keep pumping cash in because at some stage, it's going to make some money. Um, but there still is, again, you know, the, the sort of rationale behind leaving Zendesk which was about five or six years ago now was it was getting back more into a corporate structure and it was getting into a place where we all used to help each other. And then one day somebody in services said, I'd asked for, to help with some of my partners. I'm like, can't do that. It's not my job. It's not my objectives. And it's like, mm. 
okay, we're back in Salesforce again. We're back in Oracle. <laughs> it's that sort of style. And that's what investors push. When you go for an IPO and you go into sort of going on to shares and things like that, the company dynamics rapidly changes um, from that side. Whereas in, in a smaller organization, like when we were 20, even when we were sort of 25 people a data sift, yeah, we had investors, we had a board, but it was just, we could just make things happen really quickly. You didn't ask for forgiveness. Things happened. There was a spark. We were just buzzing all the time. It was just exciting. Uh, but we still knew at the back of our minds, we have to make money. We're not here to, you know, just keep playing foosball all day. Um, but yeah, it's definitely sort of flattening off a more, I think there's less companies that sort of come through that spark now. And I think what, what I'm seeing as well is more family firm type investments, more private investments than sort of VC style um, in those sort of companies to help keep that momentum going and keep that, that edge. Because without that edge, those companies aren't going to grow. Literally, they'll just become another oracle. Yeah, I, I can see that. And that it really was the Wild West, so the sort of, it was it was an unknown territory, un, unknown frontier. From okay, from what I know, I haven't been there. I'm basing part of it on the. Uh, have you seen that series, Silicon Valley? Yeah, about <laughs> like startups. You know, I'm, I'm kind of in my head that that is what you've lived through, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Um, but something something interests me. We've worked with a few SaaS clients, and there there appears to be a um, a lot of supporting software now. Somebody was talking about AppSumo as, as like crack for startups. You know, you, you can go, you can go along now, and there, there is, there is something that will allegedly solve your problem. And I wonder if it's it's gone too far the other way. When you were first starting at Zendesk, for example, and there there was nothing out there to help you, or very very little. I wonder if that was easier than trying to like go, go onto AppSumo and see two thousand apps that could possibly help you scale your SaaS. What, what's your What's your yeah, handle? You're still I, doing I, this now. Yeah, I love that term for AppSumo. That's great. <laughs> no, no, <worse. laughs> he can put that into his marketing terms. Um, yeah. That, so, what's happened now with <laughs> those sort of lifetime deal type platforms and AppSumo as a lead is there's just too many out there because you know we we've got the buzzwords around AI, and then ten years ago it was machine learning. Um, you know, there's the whole world of SaaS. But what you have now is something becomes popular at Zendesk and then you'll get a factory that will reproduce that um, and make 10 or 20 mm. different versions of it and stick it on AppSumo. So so now we have too much choice. Whereas like you say, when I joined Zendesk and it was like I was looking, I was running partners, I was looking for a partner relationship management system, which is similar to a CRM, but for partners. And it wasn't a big wide choice. It was quite a small area. Now that even that area has grown, not so much AppSumo wise, but generally in the world of SaaS, that has grown as well into a, a mature ecosystem. But yeah, I, I think the world as a whole, we've got too much choice of everything now and it makes it more complicated. I think it's sort of my mantra is try and keep things as simple as possible or do one thing really well uh, from that side. Because yeah, like you say, I'm, I'm an AppSumo member. I don't buy as much now because literally there is 50 million well versions of You're in know, recovery. It's like, yeah, it's like I went through a stage where I was part of that briefcase club and I was just buying software for the sake of it that I've never used in my life. I've got a spreadsheet of stuff. Um, but literally it's like, I don't know, you'll have um, AI writing blog content 
platforms. There must be about 500 million on there now, cloning your voice, descript copies, all this sort of thing. It's like, and, and most of them are pretty poor, but they're just all copies. There's no, where's the innovation? Where's something new? No, ex- exactly. And something that really surprised me has happened in the last 24 hours. There's been a reminder of how how we are still in a world that things can shift very quickly because there's so many startups getting so much funding for AI-related things. And we've been looking at them. You know, we use GPT-4 for data analysis and all sorts of things. And we were sort of looking at some of these other services and thinking they're just a a thin veneer of emulsion over GPT-4. And then yesterday... Or kind of this morning, really, GPT-4 changed, and now you can have your own flavors of GPT-4. And like, there must be in in Silicon Valley today, there must be a lot of investors and developers who are having an awful day, yeah, <laughs> because they've just sort that. of swiped out. Yeah, they've they've just ripped the guts of it out. But as you say, it wasn't based on a spark. It it wasn't based on an original seed of an idea. It was a an also ran. Not I'm not saying GPT. I'm saying you're all no, the no, other. But- skins almost yeah it's essentially sort of people jumping on the bandwagon of here's a platform underneath that's now been exposed publicly and has got a lot of attention uh, i'll put a little layer on top of it an interface and and that's mm-hmm. it now we've got a product away we go give me 50 million great stuff great where's the 50 million gone i don't know we bought some foosball tables and it's gone pizza yeah pizza <laughs> pizza's gone yeah but is it's like when twitter had a really sort of <laughs> vibrant ecosystem of developers and platforms were built on it, and then they just turned it off. You know, 10 years or so ago mm. um, when I was doing TweetFest and such like that, it's literally they just destroyed companies in 24 hours. And that's always been the problem when companies build on third-party platforms and then sell, sell as a SaaS service. They're always beholden to that platform uh, from that side. And it's like, yep, your business is gone. Right, thank you very much. Move on. Um, whereas companies innovate and build their own idea, boom. You know, you, you're out there doing it. I, I spoke to somebody um, probably about three or four years ago now, and we, we were talking to them about doing some work with them, and they they sat me down and they showed me this AI tool they had, and it could generate photorealistic images or anything. This is four years ago. This the, One of the things that sort of is it raises a wry smile in the tech industry at the moment is everyone going on about ai and we're like i know, I know people have been working in it for 20 years you know, know exactly. it's not a new thing no you know it's, yeah, I, I, no. I, but i keep meaning to look up how this company's doing because they weren't they, they'd done it from the ground up right it, it wasn't you know it wasn't a thin veneer but the challenge there is still racing to to stay ahead of the people who aren't creating gen, genuine innovation um Stuart we'll come to to what you're doing now in a minute um but I'm quite interested in I mean we'll reveal what you do in a minute but you, you're still involved in startups or is that a fair thing to say you're, you're involved in in original thought new companies Def- so definitely yeah you're clearly addicted <laughs> not, not, not in corporate <laughs> land <laughs> no chance so so what's kept you in it for, for how I'm trying to work do the maths here it's been Nine, ten years that you've been in, like, long, apart from 20. when you were in, uh, when you were at. Yeah, so for th- I left um, Oracle, I think it was 2011, 2010. It's been about 12 or 13 years, yeah. Ten, ten not to look backwards on the years now. Once I went past 30, it was like, I'm not looking back. 
Um, no, I, no, I, I, I don't. I, yeah, I was I just going to say, somebody asked me how old I was yesterday, and I, I, I didn't want to work it out. I'm like, no, I'm, 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 I know I'm, the ballpark range. Yeah. <laughs> I just go on the selector <laughs> box now and just keep going to the next one. Um, but I think, again, it's just sort of an <laughs> aspect of working to do sort of innovative areas and also anchoring it back to So I love data and I love sort of talking to people about concepts and things like that and, and selling that concept. But I think it's more the aspect of working in small and nimble companies or working with from sort of the consultancy side, I don't have to get involved in any politics. I don't have to worry about sitting in the cafe and try to entertain people to make my way to be a VP or to get a budget or all that sort of stuff that comes with being involved in an office or work, I can walk away from. I don't have to be part of it. And that, for me, is is great because I can do all the exciting stuff and then literally just say, right, okay, uh, I'm not doing that or I can make a decision myself. I don't have to be bound by anything. I think that's the core element. Um, I used to hate that. I, I was never very good at it. It's just literally, it, I just say it as I'm from the north. It's just what it is. You know, it's just say it as it is i'm not going to suck up to anybody it's just if it's crap it's crap if it does this or it does that it's just yeah yeah so i think that that's been the key element for me so i can see that that opportunity to to not toe the line then is 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 a, a driver there and i say that because there's something that i want to talk to you about which i i'm really interested by because it's a bold statement that you've made in the past and that's that email's dead yeah, so I'm just let that hang there for a, for a minute. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure anybody that uses Mailchimp or Mailchimp will hate this. Um, again, that comes from a couple of aspects. One is we all open email every day and delete email or unsubscribe or have too much email is one element. And and really good emails land really well. I'm, I'm not discounting that, but actually the open rates and people's attention is minuscule now. So one of the companies that I'm in, um, uh, invested in is, is probably the best way to describe it is an SMS company. And that's part of the rationale. So SMS gets 95% open rate, email doesn't. And talking wow. to people, literally, I was doing a trade show about four weeks ago. I was talking to people about this sort of concept of, do you actually read your emails? Do you read your work emails from your boss? Yeah. Do you read your emails that are trying to sell you stuff? No. Why not? Because I've subscribed to them and I can't remember why, or they're targeting me about something I don't like, or they're trying to personalize it and make it really cheesy. And then I get too many of them. And it's been a problem with email for since email was invented, wasn't it? If you're ever part of some microsystems and you're in group messages, you'll get this concept of how do I unsubscribe from this group by not replying back to the email thread? Please do not. <laughs> um, that was an internal joke, which I'm sure if anybody from Sun is listening, we'll, we'll get that totally. But but again, it's just that concept. Of, <laughs> you know, it took too much information overload, isn't it? It's like, look at you know, the newsletters I'm subscribed to, I probably get about 20, 30 a day. I'm not reading them because it's just overwhelming. Um, and maybe that's just me and maybe, or, or maybe it's just how I sort of interact. But again, it's just something that I've lived with over the last four or five years of, I don't think email is that mechanism that really resonates or lands with people as it used to. That's, that's my bold statement. It's, it's, it's realistic. I mean, my, my own experience, I've been involved with, with 
mailing systems, or well, since we used to have to build them on 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 Linux servers because things like Mailchimp weren't really developed yet, and the the sheer numbers we have to have on lists now to to get get conversion rates that perhaps many years ago were were far easier to do is quite high, and I think a part of the challenge there is that we were talking about software that backs up technology and moves become saturated. I think the supporting documentation around things like digital marketing also becomes saturated. So writing a, you know, if I had written a blog post in 2001 saying, look, you've got to be on email, you're, you're missing out if you don't, that, that blog post naturally, you know, becomes a drop in the ocean 10 years later. And then here we are 20, you know, 25 years later, and there's now probably two, you know, God knows how many, 200 million blog posts out there saying email's the thing. And it can't be the thing if everyone's doing the thing. It, it's just everything becomes like beige goo. So I, I'm interested in, so SMS, I'm always interested in what's what's next. And I'm not going to ask you to predict the future, but I am interested in, in your angle on the SMS thing because I... I'll play devil's advocate. I still think of it as just a way you text your mum. Exactly, and everybody does. Um, and, and ironically enough, even though it was it was invented, I don't know, 50 million years ago as a little communication between engineers, it's still used predominantly as a way to text your mum uh, from that side. <laughs> but actually in the US, that market is growing quicker than actually in Europe at the moment. They're going, they're moving, they're migrating a lot of their um, influence over marketing, direct communications over to SMS from email because this whole open rate aspect. And they have tighter legislation over there for getting numbers and allocations. So there's none of this. Oh, really? like, yeah, yeah, which I'm amazed at. <laughs> Um, mm. When you go through a provider over there, it's a lot more stringent than it is in uh, in Europe. Now, of course, with SMS as well, it has a very stringent double opt-in, um, GDPR compliance out the box um, type of thing. But the, the use cases are really simple. It's literally you can target and personalize people because they've opted in to receive communications from you. So a typical use case would be um, a blind company or an appointment-based company talking to people and they send 600 million leaflets out to houses, put, suddenly put a QR code on there that they can, a consumer can scan. It sends a, an SMS message back automatically. They reply back, they get double opted in, and then you can ask them some questions about what they're after. And also it opens up um, some of the use cases in this business is people that are deaf that can't make phone calls or people that actually don't want to talk to people. <laughs> I want to buy some blinds. I don't want to speak to a million people because I'm a little bit, you know, grumpy like I am. I don't want to speak to a million people <laughs> uh, from that side. And it opens up different sort of parts of society that may not necessarily have access to email or be able to read email, but they've got a Nokia 6210 <laughs> from a million years ago and can open a text message. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a big growing space, but normally most people think of the mum or – um, I've got a message from FedEx and my parcel's been delivered, or I've got an appointment reminder from a dentist or that sort of thing. There's a whole lot more you can do from sort of personalized outreach uh, from that side. But yeah, some of the biggest growing companies are when based you, in the US. When, when you put it like that, I, I am surprised that it hasn't, it hasn't happened faster. I mean, I, I can remember being involved. I used to be involved 
for fun in running conferences. And I can remember being very impressed with myself that I set up a system that would text, send an SMS message to delegates to remind them that sessions were starting and where to go. And I just cobbled that together myself. But I'm yet to see a a really easy to use platform. It sounds like I'm I'm building you up to, to, to kind of, to plug your thing, which you're, you're more than welcome to, but just the pennies are just dropping in my head going, yeah, we've seen the, the massive simplification of of email services like MailChimp, Aweber and all the others. I've not spotted anything like that for SMS. And, and I do, I don't spend all my time on AppSumo, but you know, I am, I am in the business as it were. Well, the rationale, the reason is, is so So this particular company, um, we come from an enterprise background. So we used to sell to FedEx, to Vodafone, um, still sell to the National Health, doing anywhere up to 100 million messages a month through the platform. Now we're sort of broadly forward into the mainstream. But what you'll tend to see is platforms that allow you to upload hundreds of thousands of phone numbers and then just send text messages out, but they're not a joined up conversation. Basically spam. We're not about that. So we're trying to change the face Mm. of the marketplace in terms of using it. And that trade show, you've nailed it on the head there, Andrew. So essentially, the worst thing I hate about trade shows is where you have to go around and zap people, and then you get a spreadsheet at the end of the people you zapped, but you can't put any notes on there. Um, Again, you can have a QR code Mm. set up or a, a direct number on there. People can message in join the conversation, be reminded of all the sessions when they're about to start. They then get hooked in automatically into the elements they're interested in. So if they've been to three stands, it's like it just makes that whole process more streamlined and efficient and in real time. So, you know, you're at a trade show, literally you can drop a message out going, we're speaking at two o'clock on main stage A, please come and see us. And that goes to the people that are interested, not to, to those that aren't, they don't get the message. I- <laughs> Simple as that. I should have stuck with that, really, shouldn't I? I'm, I'm going back like 15 years, probably. There, you, you could have sold it as a, a product. Yeah, yeah, it will be. <laughs> gateways oh, are no. not, they're not like email gateways; they're very complex. Um, and just think of it as well: if you're dropping messages out for a, a parcel courier, you want those messages to go to people in the countries in the morning, not at th- you know, you you don't want to send it when you hit send. Typically, that message goes live. You want to stage it and go, I heard it at 8 o'clock at night, but I want them to get it at 8 o'clock in the morning in Indonesia and 8 o'clock in the morning in the US. That's really complex, that sort of thing. All that is complex. So, yeah, it's not um, it's not sort of been done in that fashion. A lot of people are still building it out as uh, either HubSpot sort of shopping cart integration, SMS messaging, very basic stuff, or mass marketing. Whereas we've built it as a, a a customer communication channel, but from a marketing perspective uh, from that side. So you can put data into the platform, understand who the customer is. If it's a shoe company, okay, I like brown brogues, size nine. I'm not size 10 or whatever. Um, so don't send me messages about the discounts for blue brogues, size eight, because I'm not interested. Um, so there's a lot of personalization in there. It's a really interesting space. It's just sort of quite not talked about a lot. Well, not at all. And I say I've been around the block a few times myself, and it's not it's not something I've been aware of. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes if if you're okay with that. Yeah, that, yeah. Stuart. But no, what, what's, have, the, what's the name of the company? Uh, it's called Hello. Well, the platform's called Hello Me, but Hello with a, a U um, because we're cool. 
because obviously hello you couldn't get because it's so expensive um so h-u-l-l-o dot me um and then the company behind it is called always on mobile that's the enterprise um offering but i'd love to talk to people about use cases I, and uh, ideas on it yeah my you, you've tweaked my sort of my geek curiosity here and the danger is that i would now just launch into a whole ton of very technical questions which i'm not going to do um because th this episode needs to be less than four hours long um so um, <laughs> and that's good because i would embarrass myself by not being able to answer them um i didn't build a platform the guys that built it are ex rolls royce engineers and, and and a little bit of like similar to my story is they worked in rolls royce for a long time decided they were leaving and went off to set up this sms company 20 years ago 20 years ago three weeks ago it was literally walked out and said that's it we're doing this crazy absolute crazy i uh, always like to tenuously draw draw connections between things that happen in the digital space and bands and some of the best bands get formed when bands that have already existed split up and those members Very go true. and form bands with other people and God, i managed to do it it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a talent that i'm yet to mon yet to monetize if i'm honest um well Stuart, thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak to us it's been absolutely fascinating you you've given me um you know you, you've come from an angle that that i've not i've not had the opportunity to explore some of the, with the experience that you've had and and i very much value that um is there any any parting thought you'd like to leave our listeners with um no major thoughts but it's just been great to actually have a conversation i like this type of style of just you know no no questions preamble or anything it's just let's go in it's i think it always works out the best so um no no it's been great really enjoyed it good good to um explore some different ideas brilliant okay i'm gonna say goodbye Stuart. would you like to say goodbye I'll say goodbye to everybody. Thank you very much. And um, if you want to get in touch with me, details will be in the show notes. Ask away. Ask any questions.